All right, well, welcome to this month's BP Leadership Lesson. The title of the one that Bill's got for you today is Lessons Learned from the Life of Jack Welch. I know you're going to enjoy this, so make sure you're ready. Now, let's see what Bill has to say. Thank you, Hunter. The, um, he died on Monday of this week. He'll be remembered probably as one of the best leaders that have ever been in America in our century. His name is Jack, Jack Welch. And I remember years ago when I began to develop a hunger for growth. I just couldn't get enough of it. I had such a passion. And a friend of mine approached me and he said, Bill, you need to study about a guy who went to GE and took it from nothing to where it was. And it was huge. Profits when they first started was $1.5 billion. When he ended, it was $15 billion. The net worth of the company at the time was $14 billion. By the time he ended a 20-year career, it was over $400 billion. Very few leaders will ever make the kind of change he did. He blew up some things, got a nickname called Neutron Jack, but at the same time, what he did was he made a lot of CEOs and a lot of people wealthy and a lot of people saw their dreams. And most of the major companies in America began to follow that pattern. And I'd read every book he ever read, Jack Straight from the Gut, Jack Welch Speaks, Jack Welch in the Four E's of Leadership, Jacked Up and Winning. And, uh, and I've read most all of those books because I wanted to learn. And so when this guy told me, he said, you need to study this guy because he saw my hunger. I started studying that. And I promise you, I saw the difference when I would apply it. I remember one time driving down the road with a, with a great leader. We were going to a ball game together to see the Braves play. And we were in the parking lot. And he got to telling me what all he'd learned. And this guy was highly successful. But he said, have you read Welch's book, Winning? And I said, yeah. And we were both near the same chapter. And he started saying, man, I want to tell you, that changed my life. And we were going on and on. And finally, I had to stop him and say, we need to go to the game. We're in the parking lot, everybody else is already at the game, and we're in the parking lot, and he's still talking about that. It made a huge impact. Because of that reason, I thought that today what I was going to do is just take a few minutes and in tribute to his leadership impact, I want us in our lesson today to kind of recall and remember and reflect on some leadership stuff, and I promise you, you're going to get gold. Just when I was going through some of it, I was thinking to myself, Man, this is what changed the game. This is the secret that if I were a business person, I would definitely write it down. I'd want to use it. I'd utilize it because it works. It's been proven. So that's why I want to jump in right off the bat. So if you've got your notes, let's take those. And then you're going to want to, when you get out of here, go right back to your company and turn things around. So let me start it off right, okay? Number one, here was one of his leadership insights. It was lead, don't manage. Welch never liked the term manager because he said it implied a negative image. It was the impression of controlling people. And he despised the positions of power that made people feel as if I'm lording it over other people or micromanaged people or drove people with fear. We've all seen that kind. You ever hired somebody that turned out to be a Barney Fife? You know, they got the title, they got a position, they got a badge, and everybody around them got miserable. And, and, and they want to let everybody know I'm the boss. I'm the, and, you know, when you have to tell everybody you're the boss, here's what happens. You're not really the boss, okay? I remember a man one time in his house where the wife really ran the house real time, and the man got drunk. And I remember being there when he was dog drunk, and he started pounding the table saying, I'm the man of this house. He couldn't even stand up. I'm the man of having an argument. And I was thinking, you don't look like it. And there are a lot of people that are like that in leadership. And so the key is, what I liked that Welch talked about was leading as opposed to managing. And the goal was to let people see the organization and then let them become a leader. And the ways you become a leader in his mind, which I think works, is they contribute. 
You become a leader when you contribute. Now, let me give you some ways. You contribute when you bring solutions. Don't you like being with people that will suddenly, you say, we've got a problem, and they know the solution to it, um, or they're looking for it, or when you bring good ideas. Uh, there are a lot of times you'll be in certain meetings, and somebody will just come up with an idea, and a lot of times it's the one that's not paid to have the ideas, but we find ourselves turning to them and saying, that's good. <laughs> got any more like that? And, and so good ideas, solutions, or another one is this. They bring energy into the room. You can tell the difference. You ever been in a meeting where, where all of a sudden, you know, there was somebody that walked in and you began to feel, I'm getting information, I'm getting insight, but the energy is building. And the energy is that kind that makes people feel we can get the job done, we can charge this place, we can go after it. And they feel in, in their mind that they're, they're, they're fueled up to do something. And so leaders, people that have leadership skills, have some of those techniques, and they know how to inspire other people. The tips to do that is this. Uh, let other people know exactly how they help the organization. I was speaking this morning. I'm doing a podcast, and we won't be coming out with it until after Easter, but I've been building it up with a bunch of leaders. And I had a great leader this morning that when I did the podcast with, I said, what's your number one goal? And she said, my goal, she's the first lady in this city that ever became the leader like that, but she said, my goal it was to do this. It was to inspire everybody around me. She said, I felt the people around me in that particular organization, while there were thousands of employees, they were, they were just doing the job as usual. And she said, and so when I got in, I wanted to make everybody feel validated. So I'd go from room to room and talk to people and get to know them. And she said, now the morale is 100% different than it was before I stepped in. And so it was a great podcast, but what she was saying was people that inspire are also considered leaders. And so that's one of the ways to do it. And then I'd say, obviously, along that line, when you empower people, delegate the task to them, and then get out of their way. Let them do it. And so sometimes if you're in a company that's not growing and you've got a good product and you've got good strategies, it could be very well the problem is that there's too much controlling of bureaucracy and it holds it down. Let me give you the number two. Number two, here was the great lesson that Welch taught. Face reality, stop assuming. They tell us that that's one of the best ways that a leader is known, that what they do that distinguishes them is they face reality. Now, most people don't want to hear it. You know, they don't want to hear it's broke. They want to hear how good everything is. But your leaders want to see what's broke. I learned that firsthand years ago when I spoke on a platform with about 25 well-known leaders. In fact, I was the unknown one of the bunch. And I kept saying they got a misprint. And I even talked to the guy and said, look, I will pay to go to that conference. It cost about 3000 bucks to go. I said, I will pay to go to the conference. I'll sit on the front row and learn it all. And I really don't have anything to add. He said, no, no, you do. And he wanted me, so I came. And what was crazy was, I remember we all went to a steak dinner that night, every one of us. He took us to a place, Del Frisco's in Dallas, Texas. We were there at the dinner, and he walks in the room, and we're all grateful that we were the speakers. And he walked by and looked at certain tables and he said, you, you. And then he pointed at me and said, you, come with me. And I knew then, okay, I'm getting fired. I'll never be back again. And everybody's wondering, what's, what's he doing? We all got up and went out. There'd been 10, 12,000 people at the conference, and there was just us 30 leaders. And we went to a private room, and I thought, what is this? And then here's what he said. I'll never forget. He sat down. He had his assistant with him with a notepad, and he said, now tell me what's broke. And, and we thought, what? He said, tell me what's broke. He said, you guys will get it. What's broke? I don't care how well we sold today, how much money we made, how many people came, and how they're going to come back. I want to know what can we do to make it better? What's broke? And right then I realized that's why he's such a good leader. 
He wanted to know how can we make it better every time? How do we take what we have now and improve it? Because if you just get complacent and you start saying, we're doing good, we're well, but you never want to keep improving, it may slip up behind you and get you, or your competitor is looking for what's broke on your organization, and he'll make his better, and then he'll beat you. So the key is facing reality. Um, one of the ways we do it, I think, is this, is that you look at everything with fresh eyes. Uh, have you ever noticed that if you're in a place long enough that you'll get used to it? I remember one time we hired an administrator years ago, and I intentionally did this, and it killed me. But there was a piece of tape somebody had put on something that was hanging from the ceiling, and I always wanted to grab it, but I said, no, I want to see how long it takes him to see it. And did you know it was over a year? And I would literally sometimes walk with him and talk about something. I said, let's talk about this. And I would turn my back to it so he could see it, and he never saw it. And I used to just, it would drive me nuts. I'd say, I really didn't care about the conversation. I cared about, do you see with fresh eyes what I've been looking at? My blood pressure's gone up for the last year, and you don't see it. And he never saw it, never. In fact, the day he left, he didn't see it. So I finally went and pulled it down. I said, okay, that, that didn't work. But what I'm saying is a, a, a good leader has to face reality. I want to know what's working, what's broke, how do I do it? And don't assume everything's working. Uh, your employees, now many of you have some of your employees with you, and they, this is not a, a bad slight, it's just human nature. But most of your employees are going to be like your kids or your teenagers. You ever raised those? I raised three kids that turned out to be teenagers, and when I found out at the teenage stage, they will tell you what, what you need or what you ask for, but they'll give it to you in increments. They don't give it to you all at one time because they don't want to look bad or get in trouble. And your employees will do the same. Oh, this is working. This is great. Now, when you snoop under the hood, you may say, no, no, we're broke. But they're not going to come to you and say, hey, let me tell you what I messed up. Hey, let me tell you what I did wrong. I may have told you when, we first, when I first brought Brent on, uh, and first brought him in BPL, and then he went to become pastor. But his first day, I said, I wanna, I'm going to stand behind you. You make any decision, every decision you want to make, I'm with you. Just think and make decisions. He came in at the end of the day. He said, I'm quitting. I said, Why? He said, I made a decision, and I just lost you $7,000. Then he said, I'm quitting. And I got up from my desk and walked around and said, oh, no, you're not. You, are you going to get my 7000 back? <laughs> now, you can quit after that. <laughs> but I, I, Wouldn't you love to go to a job? Hey, I just lost your money. Okay, I'm gone. I mean, you, you wouldn't be in business long, would you? You don't pay employees to lose your money. You pay them so they'll make it. So I remember saying, no, you can quit after you make it back, but you're not quitting today. Today's not the day you're going to quit. And it wasn't long before he started making decisions and made such better ones. It was great. He needed to do that. You made it back. That's right. I thought I put it in there, but you made it back. And so, no, I wouldn't be where I was today. Honestly, he, he did real, real, real good. But it took, it took that to get there. And so always understand just their word may not be enough. Be willing to face reality. And as you face it, don't assume everything's working. But it'll be okay. You can fix those things once you see them. Number three, simplify everything you can. Now, I like that. Um, business doesn't have to be that complicated. Sometimes we get there where we, we do it. And Welch had this goal. In one of his books, he wrote, my job or my mission for every employee was that every day you decomplicate something. Now, that's a pretty good way to look at it. He said, I want every one of you employees every day to figure a way to decomplicate, find something, how we get the mail, how we do our staff meetings, but find some way that anything you see that can be made simple, let's make it simple. And 
that means with us, it means cutting out the clubs and the cliques and the company speak and the jargon, all the complexity. That means cutting all that out and getting down to the bottom line. Are we better? Are we better? That's, that's what we want to know. Um, I do it wherever I speak at. I'll, I did it this weekend, spoke with a great place. And, and as soon as I'm through, I always ask the leader, now, did I help you? And if I didn't, tell me what I can do to make it better. That's what you're there for. Did I help you? Did I make you better? And so that's one of the quickest ways you want to make sure that company can still get its job done and be fast and nimble without being loaded up with a whole bunch of bureaucracy and red tape that just frustrates the employees and causes the clients to look elsewhere. So you want to simplify. Now, some of the ways you simplify is this. You make your meetings simpler. Uh, you eliminate the complicated memos and letters. I don't know if you guys have that picture that I, I did on my phone. My wife gave me coffee the other day, and it was a cup. And if you've got that, throw it up there. If not, what it was was a cup that I had, she'd handed me, and I was drinking coffee out of it. And it just says, is, uh, I, I wasted another time uh, in a meeting that, I could have just, that, we, that we could have just had an email. And, and have you ever had that? You could have had it with an email, but no, we've got to have a meeting. Can we, can we have a talk? Can we have a meeting? And, and everybody just wants to have a lunch. And I don't know about you, but I, one is I don't need all the lunches in the world. And, and two is, have you ever been in a lunch meeting that you kept trying to figure out where are we going? And then after it's over with, then they say, hey, we got to get together for another lunch. And you want to think in your head, no, no, <laughs> this one was a waste I'll never get back. And so th there's some people that could just make things a lot faster if you do it by email or text as well. And then have a, have a why do we do it this way meeting sometime. Sometimes you need to just throw some things on your board and sit down with your team and say, let me ask you, why do we do this this way? Because you may not realize it, but you may be doing some things in the ways that are antiquated and they're not like they could be today. I had a phone call from a great leader a while back and he, I'd never met him, didn't know him. Uh, he, uh, he, he, some of you probably know him. I'd never met him. Dan Kathy, the, the Truett Kathy, uh, Truett, uh, Kathy's, I think, brother's son that's, uh, that was Chick-fil-A. And what had happened was we had, uh, we'd had a connection, and so he called me, and he, and he got my number from Bob Hawkins over here. And so he called me, and he said, I want to talk to you. And we started talking. And then he said, Bill, let me tell you what I just did. It's one of the greatest moves. I've never done it. I've been crying to do it. If anybody in this room can teach me, I'm all, up, I'm all about it. Here's what he said. He said, Bill, the best business decision I've made in the last 10 years was this. He said, we brought a man into our staff meeting, and he taught us how to use an iPhone. He said, now I have an IT board or a group. I have teams all over Chick-fil-A. He said, and we all assume we know what we're doing. He said, this guy came in and sat down with us and taught our team. He said, that one iPhone, if you know all that it's capable of doing, is equivalent to hiring 20 employees that can produce. And I'll never forget his words. He said, I don't need anything now but a good iPhone. And so I told Bob he'd had that conversation. Bob said, oh, you wouldn't believe it. He said, Pastor, he lived on that thing. He said the whole time, Bob spent three or four hours with him doing some stuff. He said he lived on it. Well, it made me think, I need somebody that can teach me. You know, the other day, I was, you know, I... I'm bad. I, I can't even forward a phone number. You know, you ask me to forward your phone number, and I'm, I'm, and then, and then I have to be careful what I type. Okay, I mean, I can say this. We're not in church. I can say this. I, I, uh, I didn't know that on your letters, your I and your you were next door to each other. You know, you ever notice that? And I have a dear friend, Butch Jordan, and I texted Butch one time some problem, and I texted him, and I put, hey, and then I put handle this, 
But the I and the you are next to each other, so instead of it saying, hey, Butch, handle this, it said, hey, bitch, handle this. <laughs> and he texted me back. He said, I'm sure it's a mistake. I said, what? Yeah. Didn't mean to do that. So I think about it every time I go to type in Butch's name now. Hey, I make sure I get the you. They're right next door to each other. I said, one day he's going to use that again. He's going to say, do you know how he talks to his employees? Look at this. And I'm done. I'm cooked. But, but I say it to say to you that you want to you make sure everything is up. And if you're, if you're not even up on the social media stuff, put in the work or bring in the experts. Get ahead of that game before that game gets you. Uh, number, number four, put values first, not numbers. Put values first. Now, we ought to care about numbers, obviously. That's, that's what we ought to care about. But, but I found this. If I cared about the people or the values first, uh, the numbers always took care of themselves. We, we found that if we take care of them and we take care of the values of the organization, all the other stuff will come. It, it'll, it'll work out. And, and so the goal has got to be in our life figuring out what those values are and then harping on those. And some of our values ought to be, obviously, uh, pleasing the customer. How do I meet their need? How do I make sure they're getting the best quality product? How do I make sure they're getting the very best service? And, uh, and how, on, on the back side, how do I think bigger? How do I not just think where I am, but how do I take my life to another level? And then on top of that, being open to great ideas. And, and so if you're thinking values, you're always thinking, how do I get better? How do I improve? How do I make this work? And so don't, don't spend so much time harping on the numbers. I had a business guy taught me years ago. He said, he watches all of, he had like, I think it was 437 uh, like companies of, under him and they're all over. But he had a system figured out. He said, I can tell you if the employees are working over in Phoenix, Arizona. He said, I spent all day Monday just going through all those numbers. And he said, and I can tell you by looking at the end result of the numbers, what the problem was because I've been in it 30 years. Now, most people would look at it and say, oh, they're losing money this week. They're making money. This guy said, I spend every Monday with a stack this high of printouts of all 437 branches. He said, I go through their numbers. I know what they did last week, what they did last month, what they're going to do soon if they keep on this track. But he said, I look at those numbers, and I can tell you by the way those numbers dip or where they are, pretty much what the problem is. I can kind of hit the bullseye there. And I thought, there's a guy that knows his business. Here's a guy that can just look at the bottom line and quickly say, something's broken over here. I'm not that good, but it sure did inspire me to realize there's a value in looking at that. But the, the reason was you want to fix what it is. And then on top of that, number five is this. Number five is pursue every day. Don't move cautiously. You're, you're in a competitive world. Uh, there's really no time to deliberate. Now, I think you ought to think before you, before you jump. Uh, you know, we all know there's people like this. I, I need to explain it this way. Look at your decision-making like you would a shooting a rifle. Ready, aim, fire. And everybody has that kind of tendency. Ready, aim, fire. But that's the sequence, okay? Now, in your life and making decisions, you want to do ready. And that is make sure I've done my homework. Make sure I know what the playing field looks like. Make sure that there's a need for whatever my product is or my service is. Make sure there's the need. So I'm, i got to get ready. And then I want to aim. I want to know where I want to put it, what I want to do, what's the best. And then I want to fire. That is, after I'm ready and I'm prepared and after I've figured out what target is, then I want to fire, execute. Now, P 
People can do those, but not in sequence. There's some people that just fire, fire, fire. They've never, they're not ready. They just jump from here to here to here. They, they don't, to them, just do any decision, no matter right or wrong, and they fire. Now, you need people on your team that will fire, that will execute, but they need to be ready and aiming before they do. And so you have to be cautious. Then there are people that they are great at aiming. I mean, aim, 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 aim. They're five years from now, they're still aiming. And while you're getting ready to make something happen, they're still aiming. I, I can't tell you the times. And I, I, it's just, it, it's not to break a friendship. If it breaks, that's on them. That's not on me. I gave them the chance. But I cannot tell you the times, and my wife's sitting here today, and she'll, she'll validate it, that I would call somebody and say, I need something fixed. Can you do that? And they would say, yeah, I'll, I'll get there. And if I didn't hear from them real, real, real quick, I went ahead and got it done. It just wasn't them that I called back. And I've had people that will call me a year later. Hey, Bill, I'm getting ready to come out and fix so-and-so. Hey, that's been done a year. You know, you're a year behind by now. And, and I don't know how some people stay in business that spend all their time aiming and studying and never executing. So you want to make sure that when you're, when you're moving ahead and pursuing, you take that sequence. Ready? I've got what I need to do. Aiming, I know where I want to go, and then fire, I'm going to actually do it. And so how do you live by pursuing every day and not, and, and not being cautious? You live with a sense of urgency. You live with the idea that this is a moment, this is a day, I can get something out of it, I can grow, I can, I can make my life better. I, I usually get, I have one thought generally each day that, that settles me. I don't set the bar real high. So I get up every morning and say, now today, I want to add value to somebody, at least one person all day. At the end of the day, if I can say I helped that one person. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, uh, I had a friend whose son died, and, and I didn't, I had a, a, an hour window free, and I just said, I'm going over to the funeral. When I went in, he said, I did not believe you'd be here. I thought, I, I, I just didn't think you'd show. I, you know, and I said, no, no, I want to be here for you. Now, he'll remember that forever. And at the end of the day, I said, no matter what I did, I added value to one person. You can do that. You can add value to one person each day. And the second thing I want to do is I want to learn at least one thing every day. Now, my podcast this morning, five minutes into it, I just sat back and relaxed. I said, okay, I'm, I'm good. She said something that I said, you got it. That's gold. And so I learned something already today. I hope you have. I, I want to add value before the night's over. That's what, if you do those two things, that ought to set you free. So when it's pursuing and going forward, you want to do that. Live with a sense of urgency. And then once you know what to do, make decisions quickly. Don't spend your life looking over it, thinking over it. You know we got to do it. Suck it up. Go do it. And I promise you, it'll make your life better. Thanks so much for being here. All right. Thank you for tuning into this month's BP Leadership Lesson. Each month, we share these lessons at a live luncheon to anyone in the Columbus, Georgia area. If you would like more information on dates and times of our upcoming luncheons, you can visit bpleadership.com.